Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. to add that I'm not quite 70 yet, but I'm not far off. And you know that you're getting older when you just catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and you think, ma'am? <laughs> I knew I was beginning to head over the hill a number of years ago. And this was when I was on holiday with my husband in a country place, country town. I've told this story to some of the ladies before, so my apologies for repeating this one. But Colin and I were walking down the street in this little um, country town. Well, when Colin said, Heather, just keep walking. I need to pop into this shop. I need to explain that my husband is an absolutely lovely man. He's an easy man to live with. He's very good natured, but he doesn't do romantic. So I was quite surprised when he said this. And I'm walking down the street and I'm thinking, oh, it's all because the lady loves a milk tree. Or it might be impulse perfume. And then Colin came up the street behind me with this tiny little packet. And when I opened it, it was a needle threader for people who can't see to thread their needles anymore. But it's not all bad because somebody said, life is not measured by the breaths we take, but those moments that take our breath away. And seeing my three granddaughters walking down the aisle because Etta and Iris were bridesmaids, it was just one of those breathtaking moments. And there's always things to be thankful for. But you think, where is the time going? One minute, you're building a career, you're raising a family, and then next, you're old enough to be the grandparents of the bride. And they reckon that once you're over the hill, you start to pick up speed. And certainly, the days seem to be flying past. But age is a question of mind over matter. And if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. We're never too old or too young to learn something new. Colin and I were 60 and 69 when we went with Mercy Ships for a year in Africa. And we had a great year, so you're never too old. Now, when I came back from Africa, that was in 2007, and I was fully involved with the church here, working with John, who was our pastor at the time, doing the admin, service planning, leadership meetings. There was always a big to-do list on the desk. And I loved all the work, but situations change and we get older and we have to make room for younger people. I'm not saying that there's not plenty of work for older people to do. There is plenty of work for older people to do. I'm recently volunteering with the the food bank and I love that. That's great. I'm only on the road about once a fortnight, but we've run out of sugar. So if anybody wants to buy a bag of sugar and bring it next week, we'll be very grateful for the sugar. And remember, we've got these bookmarks that we're praying about. And one of these does say, you know, what is your calling? What is your role at Chowdean? It's got nothing to do with age. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old, if you're praying about what it is that God wants you to do here. But I find that most days are just ordinary days. And I liked what Oswald Chambers said. He says, there are times when there is no illumination and no thrill. Just the daily round, the common task. Do not expect God to always give you his thrilling minute, but learn to live in the domain of routine by the power of God. If I do my duty, 
not for duty's sake, but because I believe God is engineering my circumstances. And think about that one. If God is engineering our circumstances, then at the very point of obedience, the whole superb grace of God is mine. And see, with God, very ordinary days can suddenly become extraordinary. Now, at the end of last year, I said to Colin, do you know, I think I could do with a hobby or Perhaps I should join a keep fit class or something. Um, something that would just keep me active. Well, our house is now resounding to the pitter-patter of tiny feet. Not some miraculous birth, I hasten to add. We got a puppy. Now, I thought when Sam was describing what was in the bag, he got my puppy in the bag. But this is her just relaxing on the sofa, you know, just chilling out. I think I would have been better with a Pilates class, really, but it probably wasn't one of my more sensible decisions. It's been hard work, and I certainly didn't turn into the dog whisperer. In fact, we failed puppy class the first time round, and we've had to resit. But we've passed this time and have our rosette. <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, I just love it being out on the field. I was out this morning at 6 o'clock. Now... I live on the old Fold estate in Gateshead, which is not known as an area of great natural beauty in Gateshead. But when you start to look around, there's so much greenery. There's so many areas of grass around there that I never noticed before. Honestly, the wildflowers in the spring were just amazing. One day, I saw a fox being chased by a crow across the field. I've seen mushrooms the size of saucers. And Iris and I have found a great place for blackberries, and we've been making blackberry and apple crumble and blackberry muffins, so uh, great stuff. And, you know, my dad used to tell me to slow down, to stop and smell the roses, and remind me of that old song, Inchworm, Inchworm, Measuring the Marigolds. Seems to me you'd stop and see how beautiful they are. And when I was younger and busy, 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 I didn't notice all of these things. But now, I really appreciate God's creation, learning to count my blessings and thank God for everything. And nature's beauty is a reflected glimpse of God, like a mirror which reflects the God who made it. And honestly, at six o'clock this morning, the sky was all pink and gray clouds. It was absolutely gorgeous. And I just thought, this is a mirror that reflects God. And you see something of the beauty of God in this. I have to say a lot of it depends on your attitude because recently we were walking along the front at South Shields and an older man was coming towards us and he sort of said, um, they've closed those toilets, you know, the council got them toilets closed and them clocks, they're never on the right time. You'd think they'd get something done about that. Well, I was trying to be helpful. So I said, well, actually, there's some toilets just a little bit further along the road. Well, I don't need the toilet. I live here. And I thought, <laughs> Some people are just going to find something to grumble about anyway, aren't they? But I visit my mum most days in a care home for people with challenging behaviour, people who have severe dementia. And there are two women in there who are the same age as me, and I just think they can't walk, they can't talk, they're hardly ever awake, and I just think that makes me appreciate every moment of my life. I don't want to fall out with anybody because you just never know what's going to happen. So I really want to urge you today to appreciate nature, appreciate God's gifts, 
and appreciate the people in your life because none of us know how long we have on this earth. It's certain that we're all going to die. But for the Christian, death is not the end. It's a new beginning. Now, I like to be prepared. So I've paid for my funeral and I've printed out the order of service. The only thing that's missing is the date when I die. But it's all, all the, the hymns are picked and the readings and everything. I want to know as much as I can about heaven. Now, at home, I don't have a very big bookshelf. Usually, I just read a book and then I pass it on. But I keep all the books I read about heaven and the afterlife. I've got quite a few. But I have to be honest and say that they're quite contradictory. You know, they don't all say the same things. And I think, well, I'm going to spend eternity there. So I want to know as much as I can. And the Bible is a bit vague about what it'll be like in heaven. And probably we're all a little bit like Woody Allen, who said, well, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Or the little girl who said, everybody thinks heaven is a nice place, but nobody's in a hurry to get there. And recently I watched a television series about five people who were terminally ill. And they spent residential weekends to, together in a, in a house where they would, it was a beautiful place. But they were going to help each other to make a better death. And to be honest, it was not an encouraging program because they were all without hope of anything beyond this life. So what is heaven? Is it streets paved with gold and pearly gates and green grass and angels and harps? I don't think we're meant to think about heaven like that at all. Heaven is the full reality of God. It's God's space. It's not up there somewhere in the universe. At the moment, there's just a thin veil between heaven and earth. It's a different dimension rather than somewhere in the universe. And I know that books about near-death experiences are usually bestsellers, but I'm very cautious about anything which claims to be a new revelation. I mean, God with yellow hair and Jesus with a rainbow-colored pony or bright lights or unconditional love and acceptance without the need for repentance and faith I'm a bit skeptical. These books are really bestsellers, but I'm a bit skeptical about that because I think the teaching of the Bible is our only source of truth. And the Bible tells us that if we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. And heaven is about relationship rather than location, a place of relationship because Jesus is there. When we die, body and soul are separated. We still have awareness but it's not until the end of the age when Jesus comes back again that we will have our resurrected bodies. Now, Johnny Erickson Tarde, a young woman who was paralyzed in a diving accident some years ago, said, No more bulging middles, no more balding tops, no varicose veins, no crow's feet, no more cellulite, forget thunder thighs, just a quick leapfrog over the tombstone, and it's the body you've always dreamed of. Fit, trim, smooth and sleek. Now, I'm not absolutely certain of that. It would be good, but I know that we will be perfected. And it's a bit like a butterfly who goes into a cocoon and then emerges as a beautiful butterfly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it talks about the resurrection body. And it says, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What's you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the earthly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Justin Martyr wrote, If on earth Jesus healed the sick of the flesh, then made the body whole, how much more will he do in the resurrection? so that the flesh will be perfect and entire. All the king's horses and all the king's men might not have been able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but it doesn't matter whether you're buried or cremated, God is able to give us resurrected, glorified body. The Bible tells us, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Two years ago, when my dad died, he was 90, He'd had a good life, he was tired, and he'd put his trust in Jesus for salvation some years before. But the day after he died, my faith went all wobbly. I, I thought, you know, is, is there a God? Is dad all right? Is he in heaven? Will he be okay? Where is dad? You know, and I went round to his flat, and I looked through books and, and his Bible and little notes that he had, just looking to God for some sort of reassurance and didn't find anything. But that night when I was going to bed, I just reached into the bedside cabinet, and I found a daily reading book, which I associate with Dad. Bit of a long story, but I, this book has some association with Dad. I turned to the reading for that day, and the verse along the top of the page said, he reached down from heaven and took me, and drew me out of my great trials. And I felt that that was God saying, you know, that Dad was okay, that God had reached down from heaven and taken him home, to be with himself. When I was given this subject about living excellent eternal lives, I spotted another book about heaven by a well-known Christian author and speaker with the intriguing title of 26 Steps to Heaven. I thought, 26 Steps to Heaven? That seems a strange title for a Christian book. It turned out to be a disappointment, I have to be honest. And to quote just a bit of it, it says, if there were an earthly path to heaven, what would it look like? What steps could we take to improve ourselves and make the world a better place? And of course, there isn't an earthly path to heaven, and we don't need 26 steps. I would like to suggest that we need only three. The first one would be that we recognize that we are sinners. Recognize that we've done wrong things. Each one of us, we've done things that we know we shouldn't have done. We haven't always lived the way we should have done. Then repent. Now, that's an old-fashioned word that just means turning away from the way that we've been living and living God's way. It describes a willingness to turn from our self-sufficiency to embrace the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ and receive, to just 
receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, to trust and to depend on him, to be Lord of our lives here and now, and our Savior for all eternity. Sometimes people ask, but don't all roads lead to God? Will all religions not be the same? And pluralism is the belief that many religions lead to God. Universalism is the belief that everybody will go to heaven. Now, both of these views are really growing in popularity at the moment, but they don't reflect the teaching of Jesus or the Bible. Scripture is absolutely clear that the only way to heaven is through a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a relationship with him. John 1, 12 to 13 says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, we've been looking this summer at living excellent lives, and we still have one more to look forward to next week before we start our autumn series. The Bible says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And what we do in this life does count for eternity. What I do today, this week, this month, this year, will have direct consequences for eternity. We're told to store up treasure in heaven, not on this earth. Now, it's not for those who have put their trust in Jesus, for those who have become Christians, We cannot lose our salvation. But the Bible does speak of rewards in heaven. And I read once that on the day of judgment, God will only ask us two questions. What did you do with my son? And what did you do with the time I gave you? Eternal life is knowing God. John 17 verse 3 says, Now this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is life eternal. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him in an intimate, personal way. We could say that we know the queen, but we only know about her. We don't know her personally. We can know a foreign language by learning it. We can know an animal. I'm getting to know the puppy, what she likes to eat, which is her favorite toy. That's the very loud, squeaky one but I also know how she'll react in certain situations. When it comes to knowing people, it's more complicated. People cover up and they don't always reveal everything about themselves. You could be with somebody for years and then think, do you know, I hardly know that person at all. The extent of our knowledge of another person is dependent more on them than on us, how much of their real selves they will reveal. But God is not like that. God is without shadow. He says that if we seek him with all our heart, he will be found. He desires to be known. But we can only come to him through the Lord Jesus, trusting in Jesus to put us right with God. To know God, we must take a note of what he says in his word, the Bible, and then put it into practice. We learn about his nature and his character as he reveals himself through his word and through his dealings with his children. God is awesome and he's majestic and he's holy, and he's vast beyond our imagination. But what I love is his tenderness and his involvement in our daily lives and our, just his concern even for the little things that seem trivial. And what I'm going to say next is just absolutely sounds trivial and it sounds really vain. But last Easter, I went to my nephew's wedding and I wore beige lace. Now, when I saw the photographs afterwards, I thought, that was not a good look, Heather. 
you did not look good in beige lace. Lulu says, never wear beige when you're over 60. But I'd, it was just a passing thought. It wasn't a big deal. You know, I wasn't making a thing about it. Just a passing thought. About an hour later, I got a text from a friend. Not somebody in this church. Not somebody who I get texts from very often. Not somebody who knew I'd been to a wedding. And she sent me a text saying, been praying for you today. God says you are beautiful. And I thought, why would God do that? You know, is that just intimate? Is that just personal? Isn't that the God that we love, the tenderness of God? And I think that God would do that because he knows I'm going to come here today and I'm going to say to you, it doesn't matter what you look like, God thinks you are beautiful. So no matter how good this life is, it's a snap of the fingers compared to eternity. And God wants us to seek excellence in this life, but also to experience an excellent eternity. Heaven is a gift of grace, but it must be received. Assurance comes when we know and embrace Jesus Christ. And just think afresh what he's done for us. Jesus left the glory of heaven to come here to show us the way home. He goes ahead of us to prepare a place for us. His death pays our entry to heaven and his resurrection assures us that we too can spend eternity in glory. And the one and only way a sinful person can find cleansing from sin and live with assurance that heaven will be their home is through faith in Jesus Christ. Samuel Shoesmith said, Eternal life does not begin with death. It begins with faith. And I love that. Eternal life does not begin with death. It begins with faith. Eternal life is our present possession. We already have it. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has already crossed over from death to life. So, live the best that you can. Spend time with God. Get to know him better. That's really important. Get to know God and know him better. Be thankful. Appreciate the beauty around you. Value the people in your life and be willing to forgive. Life really is too short to be holding grudges. Don't wait until it's too late. Start living an excellent eternal life. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.